Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Hacking Podcast, a Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. Hmm. Um, in a recent report from the MIT Sloan Management Review, uh, they found out that 79% of the people who answered this report, uh, this research, they saw improvements in efficiency and decision quality because of artificial intelligence. But what is interesting is that they also saw improvements in the morale and other cultural areas. The study found that companies using artificial intelligence reported improvements across four key cultural elements, collaboration, collective learning, clarity of roles, and team morale, which is quite interesting. And that's one of the reasons I have invited today Anis Haddad. One, because he knows about technology. He was a former tech CEO. That's very good. He knows a little bit more about how do you say the models, the strategic way of moving forward cultural uh, culture in organizations? He is a McKinsey certified transformational leadership facilitator, and he's also a professional certified coach. Most inter interesting point is that he's the writer of a book called The Eagle That Drunk Hummingbird Nectar. And I was mentioning to Anise before that it is a book that is quite compelling because it's quite relatable for leaders, especially, who start listening to this little voice behind their heads saying, you have to change. This is not the life that you wanted to have. So the book itself is a powerful and thought-provoking book that draws on the Anis ex uh, specific extensive background in technology, leadership, mentoring, to, uh, and coaching to offer people a unique perspective on personal and professional growth. Uh, and I, I guess my assumption, my hypothesis is that it follows the story of a CEO that was quite inspired, I guess, by his personal uh, life, where this CEO learned that this meaning of the purpose of true leadership. And it's not about having all the answers, but about knowing how to move around towards this unknown, this volatility, ask the right questions, and how to engage with others to foster a culture of continuous learning and innovation. I found it quite, uh, quite compelling. Anis, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, and, and I wanted to discuss about your specific book because that's what is interesting is that you define like a five-part self-transformation journey. So, and I wanted to ask you, First, a little bit more about these five steps and how can artificial intelligence have a role in, in, in the development of the, this next generation of mindful leaders? What's your take on that, Anis? Hi, Ivan. That's a huge, big question. I love how you opened and I love your energy. Um, the, so how to link all that together? Um, well, let, let, let me just give a little bit of background here to what you were saying a minute ago. Uh, around 20% of the book is, as you guessed, about me. Or 20% of the book comes from my own experience. Um, my so I built a tech company, payment software company in the south of France, grew it to 30 countries, sold it um, when I, in 2007 when I was 47 years old. And I discovered I liked people better than computers, a long process of <laughs> transformation. And, and so at 50, I was really grappling with this transformation of letting go of who I was as a tech CEO. I had written two books on payment systems at the times. I was speaking at conferences around the world. Letting go of that identity and moving towards something that felt a lot more um, real for me that had to do with others, with people. Um, so that's what brought me into executive coaching and leadership facilitation. That transition is what I write about in my book. Um, so that was when I was 50. 
Um, 20% of the book comes from my own experience. Most of it is fictional. Um, I wrote a first version that was not fictional. It was just kind of a how-to book on transformation, but I threw it in the trash can because it was too boring. And then I really wanted to write fiction. So it was, it was much more challenging. However, I think it produces something better. Um, now, how does that relate to AI? What I see is that transformation I was going through back then is something that I see very frequently with senior executives. Um, however, it's happening more and more, faster and faster and younger and younger. Mm. And, and I see AI as one of the things that are driving that. Um, we had COVID driving it. We had then uh, Ukraine driving it. Uh, AI coming in with ChatGPT. These things are are happening faster and faster and forcing us to let go faster, let go more easily with what we knew was true before and adapt. So, 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 so it's a book really designed for leaders to learn to develop that more flexible mindset, uh, which I had to do when I was 50 and which most people go through, but now we all have to go through it much more frequently. So AI fits into that from a direct standpoint. And then there are tons of indirect standpoints that I haven't completely understood yet. What is funny, uh, Anise, is that AI as such, so, we have been discussing about it for the last 20 years. And, and probably 20 years ago, we thought that we, will, we were going to start using AI uh, in a more rapid manner. Uh, we were expecting like to really have discussions with really human-like um, um, tools. And what has happened is that it took a little bit of time so that AI understands our natural way of communicating, right? And and. Only like one year ago when ChatGPT started to uh, to blossom uh, or, or to be known by the, the masses, this is where the moment where uh, really we, we feel near to, to what AI can deliver in order to, su to support us. But it is a polarizing topic because for some it is perceived as a threat to my job. Uh, for some it's an opportunity to do less of the boring stuff that we do in our day. And this less boring stuff is what takes most of our lives, especially when we are in corporate, right? We do a lot of administrative things that it is not fun and it's not helping me develop and have my potential. If I am a CEO or a senior leader, well, why should I spend time going through uh, slides of 100, uh, 100 slides to understand uh, a challenge? Uh, so how can we... Uh, help these leaders do the do the jump of acceptance that this is happening. Uh, uh, also related to what you mentioned before, this this part where you say it is so difficult to let go of our own identity. So how can we mm -hmm. embrace the change? Say AI is here, and how how can we help these leaders to to do the move to to embark on how can I use it? Because at the end, is you don't need to be technical, but you need to have yeah. like process oriented in order to ask the right questions. You cannot say to AI, hey, give me some tips yeah. on how to manage motivation of my, of my team. It needs to be a little bit more contextual. How can we help people to, to move out from this area? I don't like it because it's going to replace me to it can help me to do better my job and accelerate my transformation to wherever I want to go. Yeah. Something I've seen, um, I've had conversations with clients in offices when we're, when I'm working with a client on a project, developing a, a, a retreat, a workshop for their leaders. And I'll be talking to two or three people as we're developing this. And I'm surprised at how many people are using ChatGPT without saying that they're using it. Um, because you're 
So, so I've used it, for example, to do a, a run sheet for a two-day workshop. You put in a few words, boom, you get a run sheet that comes out and then you just tweak it a little bit. And then in half an hour, you've done something that usually would take several hours to do. And I mentioned that to someone. We, we designed a run sheet instantly for a new idea for an exercise. And I did it with ChatGPT and, and they said, the two people in the room both said that they also used it, but they hadn't told anybody. Yeah. So I think people are exploring it. There's still a feeling of if I use it, does that mean that I'm not working as much? Does that mean that I'm cheating? There's still some, there's still some confusion on that. Um, I think, so you said, how can I motivate people using ChatGPT? How can I motivate my people? I think you can absolutely do that. Um, I've played with it in that way. So saying, um, here's a situation. Uh, I'm an executive. I have this problem. Give me some ideas. And boom, it brings up some ideas. Some of those ideas are more interesting than others. You go down a little, you can go down the rabbit hole and get a lot of information very quickly. So you can you can self-coach yourself in in your leadership. Mm. Um, and what I've noticed with, with ChatGPT specifically, I haven't played with a lot of other tools, is that it tends to be quite uh, well, it's extremely, it wants to help you. So it's it, it responds very cheerfully. Um, and it tends to be centered. So it tends to tell you, yes, this is useful. This is also useful. And that also is useful. So it gives you ideas that you might not have thought about. Um, so I, I, think that it's, I think it's a powerful tool for leaders to self-reflect and have what typically they would pay a coach for to self-reflect. So that means the coach has to work at a different level. Mm. It's not you just mean, those levels. Exactly. That, that's what, I, when you were mentioning that, I was, I was asking myself, but is it self-coach or self-mentoring? Do you get the answers? And you're right. ChatGPT will not tell you the, the answers. He will give you options. But then there is your cognition, your, uh, I mean, your experience that has to pick up the, the, the right approach. Yeah. And it's yeah. good to have it on the on the flow of work, like on the moment when you need it. Because I coach, okay, I have my meeting in a in a couple yeah. of days, in a couple of weeks, and in the in the meanwhile, you will forget what you wanted, what was your purpose. But here, at least you have a starting point to take an action, and that's yeah, exactly. I guess what it's all about with um uh, for for the use of artificial intelligence and. One point that I have to highlight, and you say it quite right, is that the coach has to find a new role, right? It, because the easy thing of investigating options in, the, in coaching, maybe you can get it through ChatGPT, but the difficult part of motivating someone to make it happen, to have the feedback about the results, that still is yeah. a very human uh, area. The coach will notice emotions. The coach will notice body language. The coach will notice the way the, 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 the client phrases a question, how maybe the shoulders slump a little bit while they're talking, and then something else talks and they speak faster. The coach will notice those things and they'll give that feedback. Um, ChatGPT can't see that. Now, I can I can very easily imagine a ChatGPT type of tool for a coach that's listening, for example, to the conversation, and maybe is saying, as you're listening to the conversation, you have a transcript, and then the, and then the tool maybe is suggesting, uh, here's a question you might want to ask. Exactly. Here's another question I want to ask, and it can give ideas to the coach on how how to say so ask the person how they're feeling mm. ask the person so it can be a tool that really really expands that um but it forces the coach to really focus on what it is to be human that's the real added value and i think it's going to be the same thing for leadership i think it's everywhere everybody knows this i mean it forces us to be more human than in the past because 
the robotic side of what we tend to do can be done already by AI. Mm, that's true. Um, I am pretty sure that you have a bunch of friends or even clients that have a little bit of misunderstanding about what artificial intelligence is. And, and I can tell you already, like my bunch of friends is the same. So they they don't know what it is. They, they may think it is bias. There is discussion about the biases of uh, artificial intelligence. They, there is the, yeah. the discussion about yeah, but it's not. Uh, it, it's not a human. It cannot. Uh, it cannot help me. Uh, I mean, the 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 structure, the way it has been programmed, it is based in on how our brain processes a lot of information. We we take quick decisions because we define what is a pattern, and a pattern is very often defined by <clears throat> how many times we have been doing the same. What is our context, our environment? So if I was in an environment where where, like, like, let's say the South American environment, men have to be the uh, the the real people directing the family. Okay, that yeah. has been repeated so many times that, of course, I will take it like this is the normal, the standard. And my yeah. artificial intelligence that is in my brain is telling me by default this is it. But yeah. then it is about this is where either coaching or a journey of self awareness can go through steps in order to redefine new norms, new patterns inside of your, of your brain. But that's very difficult to understand for people. So what is the biggest misunderstandings that people around you are saying about artificial intelligence, that it works or it doesn't work, but what exactly they, they are criticizing? Wow. Um, so I read stuff like you do. I, I see what people are talking about. Um, and I like how you've structured the question, putting that aside, what they're talking about on TV, on YouTube, on the articles and stuff, what am I seeing? I'm just not seeing many people really asking about it right now. It hasn't really come into people's lives in a way that people are really talking about it. I don't know many people talking about AI mm -hmm. a lot. Um, in these anecdotes, of people using it without saying that they're using it. And when you say, hey, I'm using it, they say, oh, well, I'm using it too. Um, from that perspective, I do see people playing with that. Um, I think there are some fears that I've seen in my, again, staying away from everything that's been written about, what have I experienced? I do see some fears that uh, of people listening to the very negative reports on AI and getting scared. Um, I do think there's some scary stuff potentially with it. We know that it can be abused. We know that social media has been abused. So we know that people are gonna try to abuse it in the same, all of that is there, but I try not to put much energy in it because I don't know how to deal with those big macro <laughs> subjects. I look at it from my little, my little keyhole and I see it, I like how you described that the patterns, so artificial intelligence is just replicating our patterns. So I like to see it as AI can help, can help push me personally to expand my view of what is it to be human and understand what do I let, what is it that is just pattern stuff that can be replicated by machines and what is it that is really, really human? And I love that it pushes me to explore that. And when I'm playing with AI, I'm, I'm curious because I'm exploring the mass patterns of humankind. And when I see that, I think, okay, well, that's, it exists already. What is it that's human beyond that? I think that's a, for me, that's personally, a very interesting question for my own growth and development. Um, so I stay away from macro questions because that's very depressing and I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> Anise, I wanted to get back to the, this path of self-development that, that you explore inside of your book and your book has these five parts uh, mm. where 
that is a little bit about how to transform our our uh, our lives, uh, uh, professional or personal, uh, how to deal with change. And what I like is that is is a structure that is based on not only kind of human psychology, but also based on the typical path and cycles that senior leaders have uh, have got. And there is a little bit more of, of entering into the areas of, of self-development, uh, but with science behind that, because I didn't feel the, the fluff, the, you know, that like something that it could be like a little bit like Chopra talking about quantum physics and, uh, and uh, the way we learn that that's a little bit too, for engineers, it's a little bit like, what the hell is happening here? Uh, so, and you talk about this path, uh, you, you talk about this level of how do you enter into uh, asking the right questions around the comfort of the status quo. You talk about th th that what prevents us, these limiting beliefs that we we have in, uh, no, I'm not capable, this is not for me. No, I have a family, I cannot do that move. Yeah. All this crazy stuff. Uh, how how do we define ourselves? This illusion that we have that you mentioned, like for for instance, that the fact that I'm being defined by the role that I had in a company. How do we get rid of this and we say, mm. who am I exactly? So it's, it's it is like a path to, towards self awareness. How do you go and say the hell with it? I I can lose the control. It's it's not it's not about uh, knowing exactly what is going to happen ne next, which is quite difficult because our brain like likes to have to forecast the future. And when yeah. we cannot know what's happening tomorrow, we feel like with the stress, we are... Yeah. And then you finally discuss about this joy, like kids of, dis of discovery, like new thing, and you become thirsty. Despite of any age, by the way, Anis, we are not that far in terms of uh, of age, and I can tell you this curiosity, we can have it. I think that I have rediscovered with the with age. I had it when I was in in the twenties, and suddenly I don't know what the hell happened in the thirties that my level of curiosity decreased. I was just doing stuff. I was just wanting to keep my social status, my money, my. And yeah. I didn't have any more curiosity. And, and I thought that curiosity was about reading books. The hell no, it's not that. So <laughs> coming back to this transformational uh, transformational journey, um, how would you define it um, in for someone who is already listening to this small voice, there is change coming. You need to take an action. Otherwise, your life is going to end up without you designing it. How, how would you how would you explain it to uh, to someone who is in that set of consideration? Yeah, so that's that's exactly so. It's a, your your comments are exactly why um, when I write it as a how to book, it's very boring because it's just telling stuff. And executives, uh, senior executives, uh, people like me, build companies and stuff, or running companies that you don't really want a how-to book on how to change yourself and become a better person and personal transformation, all that. That's, that's, that feels fluffy. So writing it as a fiction, as a story with a person who's going through it is a little bit different. Um, the first step is developing, it's, I call it entering the path. It's the first chapter. Mm. It's... Um, it's finding a deep desire for the change. It can't come from, oh, I have to change because the world is going to go on. And I, it has to come from some excitement of, I want to change. Mm. And for each person, they find it in a different way. Um, this is a story in the book of a man who found it in his way. But a lot of times it comes after rejecting it. So we reject it. We don't want to change. We want the status quo. We want to stay comfortable. But at some point we say, okay, enough. Let me just change and move. Let me move forward because I want more. I'm still alive. I want to continue growing. At some point there's a realization like that. That needs to happen. That's chapter one. Um, most people have had that. They've had that many times in their lives. Mm. Um, it's a matter of recognizing it and then consciously saying, okay, now I'm, I'm going. 
I'm I, I'm moving. Um, the second chapter is what you it's a, it, it's 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 learning to look at all the patterns that we've developed, the negative beliefs and all that, but looking at it with tenderness and with awe, with tremendous respect that our brains are so complex. 99.9% .9 of the patterns we have are very effective, but there are sometimes tiny, tiny percent of patterns that are not so effective. And they develop because they were effective in the past, but they're no longer effective. And when I'm changing, some of those patterns that used to be very effective are no longer. Now I need to recognize them, recognize the power that they have, honor them, respect them, and you're not going to destroy old patterns. You can create new patterns. So that's what that part of the book is starting to recognize. What is it in my beliefs that are getting in the way that used to serve me? What kind of new beliefs do I want to develop? And then there's then there are three chapters on letting go. Um, the first one, letting go of uh, labels. So I call it detaching from the illusion of self. We have all these labels. I'm a man in Singapore. I'm an expat. I'm a former, I'm an American living in Singapore, French speaking, live, having come from France. I'm a former tech CEO. I'm a father. I'm a stepfather. Uh, all of these words. I'm an, I'm an executive coach. All these words are labels. Mm. Um, and we become attached to them. And when we hold the labels too hard, then we become fixed and we can break. So it's the, the, the sense of rigidity. So, the, so that chapter is about loosening our grip so that our, the labels are there, but we're not holding them tight. So that new labels, so that when those labels move, when change happens, we don't break. Um, new labels can come in more easily. So the, the idea is visually, I like the, <laughs> visually it's I'm holding something, I've loosened my grip. Um, three areas. One area is the label. The next one is on control. If I'm holding for control like this, which all executives grow and they get to where they are because they're holding control. They have the answers. They, they have solutions. And then they come to a certain point when the only way to go further is to say, I don't have the answers anymore. I don't have the solution. I hire people that have solutions. And then when change happens, they have to say, okay, even the people I hired don't have the solutions for where we're at. And if I'm still holding like this, I'll break. So if I can, I can have a loose control, still have control. I still need KPIs. I still need to budgets. I still need to achieve my objectives. I still need to empower my people to achieve their objectives. But I need to have some looseness there so that things can move, new things can come in. Um, it just changes easily. And the third one is one you described I like the most. It's uh, letting, so being a lifelong beginner, I call it letting go of my authority and expertise, mm. uh, which was my hardest after I sold my company. Letting go of the authority and expertise, being a tech CEO, founder, um, an expert in my industry. There's a lot a lot of, of, of juicy value in that. Mm. And when you let go of it at first, at first you grief. There's grief. You're, there's a part of you that's dying that was very valuable. And then you think, how can I be valuable again if I don't have that? I shouldn't let go of that. That's my only value. And, and you start learning that maybe I have value beyond that. Um, when I first began coaching, a lot of people wanted advice. Um, what would you do with a board? You had a board of directors. How would you, what would you do when you're raising capital with investors? And it was powerful to give advice because there's value. And then, and then when I started discovering that maybe my value is not in my knowledge, it's not in my experience, not in my expertise, where else could my value be? For me, it was uh, listening, mm -hmm. um, being someone who people felt could hear them and could understand them without judging them. Um, we each have need to, and that's the final chapter there, how do we find our value that is not in the doing? Um, so 
Yeah, and it's not just about work. It's also personal life. There are a lot of people that feel like uh, if I'm not producing for the family, you mentioned men in South America, and it's not only South America, it's all over the world. If I'm not producing for the family, I'm not bringing in money, I'm not uh, working. What um, about it? <laughs> then I have no more value. Yeah. Will I still be loved? Um, will I be appreciated? Um, it's very hard to find something beyond that and, and, and find that I can have that. I can still do these things, but I'm valued for something else. So it's, a, it, it, it's quite a rich area of discovery. Anise, I, I related quite a lot to my personal story and I want to use this opportunity so that we, we can have a, a discussion about something that is it's almost like a coaching discussion that I, that I want to have where when I look at my personal story, the moment breaking from my corporate life to be, to do something that I found more meaningful, the thought started 10 years before that of the moment when I, when I did it. 10 yeah. years, can you imagine? Because we have this natural resistance with a lot of bullshit that we put in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in our head in order to do the move Oh, I'm not ready because I don't have capital to do something that I want to do. I need a lot of expertise. Oh, I will need the right, I don't know, co-founder to do it. Um, yeah. The story about the family and the, 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 the relationship that we have with financial. Uh, so with the financial. Uh, so we like being protected in, 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 our, in our present, which is status quo. I don't move because there is so much risk and I have the impression that this uh, is in the head of a lot of people all my friends I don't do coaching I have discussions with people uh, I like knowing a little bit a lot of the people have got a moment where they ask themselves the right question to to change that they are not living the, the life that they wanted but yeah. then they started filling up with all the bullshit that I had for 10 years and to be sincere at the end in my personal life the decision of moving from the status quo of the by corporate comfortable corporate life to entrepreneur, I didn't take it. It was my brain who took it. And when I'm saying that the effects of uh, of not living the life that you want generates burnout, and that's what happened to me. And it can happen to many. You also yeah. mentioned the fact that <clears throat> today the younger generation are even more sensitive to that, that effect. So in, our, in, in my generation, if we were going into status and money, and that's why the reason why we were working for, uh, for someone. Today, other things have become important for Generation Z, so they break uh, in a quicker manner, because if yeah. they are not living this full priority that they have in their life, then they are, they, 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 I have seen young generations breaking after three or six months in the corporate life because they it is not what they, they were expecting. How can we support that scale people who have the same pattern? They're like saying, okay, I'm thinking about it, but I have so many limiting, we can call it limiting beliefs in the coaching world, but okay, so much bullshit that we put that that becomes our reality. And I think this is the, the, the most the biggest friction that we have to change what our brain is telling us how can we do it how is there a, a trick a magic trick to to change um i think well everyone will do it at their own speed everyone will do it at their own rate um that's a that's a very macro general um uh, reflection that I'm thinking now mm -hmm. in terms of individuals and teams when I'm working with individuals and teams and when they're looking at for example um, I need to be a more empowering leader mm -hmm. uh, delegate results and authority rather than delegating tasks that kind of question um, quite often that need to change starts to come through feedback 
they hear it from people around them. They hear it from employees who are not happy. They do 360 assessments mm. and they see it. And then when we're speaking, then we start to explore um, how important it is for them to shift. When it's important enough, it all happens. When it's not important enough, it'll stay as an idea until it becomes important. So I would guess for you during the 10 years, if I would have asked you at the beginning, on a scale of one to 10, how, how, how important is this transformation for you? What do you think you would have said at the beginning, 10 years before you went, became a... Um, I think that what I would have said that is super important, I would have given like a nine to out of 10, but then my thought process would have said, no, but I have this, I have this. Maybe it's not that important. Maybe it's a four, a five or a six. Exactly. I would have decreased at one moment because all these fears were yeah. really anchored. Yeah. So in the coaching conversation, if you came to me and you said, I've, I have this idea, I'm stuck in my job, I really want to do this, but I can't get the, I can't get the um, motivation to really do it. We would have this conversation, I'd ask you one to 10, you would think about nine at first, and then you think about actually maybe just four, then I might ask you, what would make it go up? Well, why is it four and not two? Why yeah. is there some there? Uh -huh. And you'll answer, and I'll ask you, what would make it go higher? You'll say something. And then as you search, you'll start noticing things. Um, maybe you'll say, if I have a conversation with my wife, because I'm scared that she's not going to support me if I go do this, then you'll say, okay, I'm going to go talk to my wife. And you come back the next time and say, hey, she thinks it's a great idea. My, I'm now at an eight. Um, so that's, those kinds of conversations are used. That's what's entering the path. Entering the path is learning to ask those questions. Where am I? Um, the, sta the status, there's nothing wrong with status quo. I, I, I don't think people have to change. It's more a question of you have something, you have a burning, there's some flame, maybe like a coal, like an ember and you're trying to blow on it, you feel like it could grow, and then you get scared, you don't blow on it so much, but it's there, it's bothering you, it's niggling at you. That's when these kinds of conversations can be quite powerful. It, it's almost like you have transformed like these beliefs that we take as our reality into hypotheses that the person has to validate. So yeah. to treat not like our thoughts, not like these are facts. No, it's, they are exactly. not facts. It's a hypothesis. Go and validate. I, I, I like this approach, the discussion with my wife. I maybe tried, but then it wasn't super consistent. It was the wrong questions that I asked to, to my wife. Yeah, I, I totally get it. I, and I like this approach and this. Um, coming back to, to, the, uh, to the topic of um, having work cultures that are more human. So, we know a little bit about your background, tech founder, so you believe in that technology can help empower, unleash the potential of, of, of people. So let's do the magic trick. So you, somebody tells you, Anis, you are going to be the, the CEO of this 1,500 company. Um, how would you, how would you, what would you do first to make the human, the, the, the workplace more human, considering that you love tech. Hmm. What would you do? In, what would you, what would it be your first three months of focus? So you believe in technology, but you want to have a more human workplace. What would you do? Uh, there are many things to do there, depending on the company. Um, one of the fundamental things that I'm seeing is um, especially as especially as work fragments and we can be independent, we can do, there's the gig economy, there's stuff going on. Um, the need for a company to be a vehicle 
for its employees, partners, customers, shareholders, for them to find purpose, find purpose, find vision, a story to their lives. Hmm. That's becoming, that's been important for a long time. There's lots of books that have been written about it, but it's becoming more universally important for companies. Um, it's kind of filling, if I, I need to, if, pushing the envelope a lot, it's kind of filling the need that over the last 2000 years, religions provided us. Mm -hmm. uh, religions gave us a common story. They gave us a common way of looking at the world. And we knew that other people of the same religion think like us so we can trust them more easily. It created that environment. Um, and that's of course, falling apart. However, there is, there is a growing desire and need for companies to provide something similar, not that same thing, but a sense of purpose from a human standpoint. Not, and the purpose is not, I'm gonna make more money. Yeah, We're exactly. gonna maximize our profit. Hmm. Um, it, it's going to be something that really speaks to people. Uh, it's going to be transformational. It will have an impact on the planet. It will, whatever it is that really speaks to people. But that becomes the primary role of top leadership, of, 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 of um, promoting that story, keeping it alive and keeping it visible and, and making sure that everything matches and fits that and, and doesn't go against it. Um, yeah, so there'd be, there would be work like that to do. Um, first at the very top, the next team down, and the next team down, <laughs> it's all... Uh, it has to start from the top, right? It, it cannot it be has a top, top yeah. Uh, story. Yeah, exactly. So actually, it starts with whoever I'm speaking with. Uh, yeah. It starts from whoever you are. Um, if you're looking from a macro perspective and I'm writing a scholarly book, I would say it has to start from the CEO. Practically speaking, it can start from anywhere because we have lots of examples in the world of somebody in some corner of a company doing something that has tremendous impact and then it spreads. Um, we have the opposite. So when I'm having this conversation with teams and I'll tell them they wanna build trust. And they say, but there isn't trust up above, two levels up, it's, we have, there's a problem. So how do I create trust? I can't create trust, it has to come from them. And then I'll challenge them. Can you break trust? You're a global organization. Can you do one thing that breaks trust around the world with your company? And then they laugh. It's easy to break trust. There are examples. And then they go to court and all those kinds of things. So. If it's easy for one person in one office to break trust and then the whole bank <laughs> falls down, it's also easy for somebody to do the contrary. It, it, easy. <laughs> it's possible. It is possible. possible. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's possible. Mm. Um, that's if I'm speaking to somebody at that level. If I'm seeing the CEO, I'm telling the CEO, yes, it starts with you. Obviously, it starts with you. If I'm talking to someone who reports to the CEO, I said, yes, it starts with you. <laughs> it's your responsibility to work with your CEO and, and get <laughs> We're all responsible for it. We're all responsible for it. I, I love this story, starting with a purpose and then uh, deploying it from the top to the uh, to bottom. Um, but it, indeed, for many even though it is spoken through a lot of organization, it is very difficult to for them to find out the, the right way to implement it because behind this purpose, there is going to be the definition of, of a culture. And behind the culture, there is not slogans, like posters, like any yeah. change management tool, by the way, uh, tells you a little bit about the slogans and stuff. Drop that, yeah. this shit. It is about what are the rituals that I want to to make in the organization what the senior management that uh, or the mid and the mid management should constantly replicate in terms of behaviors 
because we observe behaviors and it, yeah. it is not about what is written in the website with the values of the company. It is about what I observe. So if I observe my boss being still an asshole, uh, of course, I would think that naturally that in order to get there, I need to be replicate these, the yeah. same patterns. Uh, and yeah. so change is not going to happen. And I like also what you mentioned about this guerrilla approach that change could be like a small group. And you're right, if it is difficult to break trust, uh, it is also possible, but not as easy as breaking it because we always perceive the bad things. Yeah. <laughs> bad things can break the uh, atmosphere in a more easy way than a good element <clears throat> being Jesus inside yeah. of, the, uh, uh, of the company. Sorry for using Jesus yeah. in that conversation. <laughs> oh my God. There's a... Uh... One very common conversation is uh, a leadership team complaining that the next level down doesn't take ownership. Um, and mm. these are your peers. It's a very common complaint. Yeah, the next level down, they're taking ownership. We need to do a leadership program to have them take ownership. So I'll start with the leadership team and I'll, I'll, I'll ask the question, um, I'll say, so when you are saying they're not taking ownership and I need to make them take ownership and I don't know how, you are coming from the mindset of this is happening to me. Mm. If you come from the mindset of I make things happen, that's ownership. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, we agree. So then the conversation becomes, what are you doing to encourage these people to not take ownership. What are the subtle things you're doing? And usually you can find subtle things. For example, uh, one leader was loved by his people, but he had the habit of coming to them and saying, beginning of quarter saying, look, um, I fought for you guys. I fought for us. You know, I'm on your team. I fought for us, but they really want these objectives. I couldn't get them to bring him down. I couldn't get the CEO to lower the objectives. I fought for us. We have to do it because the CEO really wants it. That is an attitude of it's happening to me. I'm not making it happen. So I'm not taking empowerment. I'm not being empowered. I'm demonstrating that it's happening to me. Of course, they're going to think, yes, it's happening to us. That was a real leader. When he realized that, he changed because he doesn't want to be like that. He just didn't realize that was the impact. So now when he speaks to them, he says, look, we had a conversation. I agree. And I suggested this is what we need to commit to. And they accepted that. We don't, whether that was a disagreement with his boss or not, different story. But with his people, this is his decision. He's making it happen. It's not happening to him. There are so many examples. Um, there are many ways of doing KPIs that make people think that it's happening to them because they're not part of the discussion. So there, 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 there are lots of little subtle ways that can be that create a culture of a disempowerment. I like that. Um, for a long time, for most of my career in incorporating the discussions of doing a smart goals was always on the on the mouth of everybody but who really has embraced smart goals or have been motivated because you wrote a sentence that is non-relatable to humans i kind of learned like five or six years ago the use of okr who looks a little bit more empowering yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. For, for people in order to develop a, a vision and where there is still the possibility to bring ideas together in order yeah. to reach inspirational uh goals yeah. what i like about this conversation anise is that um in order to humanize the workplace there is there needs to be certain uh an angle that is rooted in uh in how do we motivate and develop intrinsic motiv motivation from your employees purpose is something that uh, that is quite a key and kind of I was thinking that this five steps journey that you describe in your book could be easily applicable for workplace that are more human. 
That's <laughs> exactly what, right. And what I even like the most is that, and you said it, is the artificial intelligence is a tool that can empower us to have more options because we have a problem always when, oh, what can I do when we are alone? So either we have someone to discuss, to debate, or either we on the spot when we have the um when we have a question, we can go to chat GPT and, and this, this have a discussion. He, he will not tell you the answer. He will tell you this is what, you, and then your critical thinking can tell you, okay, I'm going to explore that hypothesis. Yeah. I love the, the way you translated any of our true uh, our realities into hypotheses that we need to go and simply validate. If every employee was empowered to that to do that, that would be really amazing. And technology again can help you out to do it uh, at a bigger scale. Anything yes. that I've forgotten and is out of this, uh, oh. <laughs> summarize the key points. No, that's excellent. That's beautiful. <laughs> and it's how can people, if they want to reach you out to ask you a little bit more, uh, more questions about how to be a more mindful leader, uh, or how, or understanding a little bit more these principles of transforming your life into something that you really wanted and you are not daring to do, how can they reach you out? So my website is the easiest. It's just my first name, www.anise.com, A-N-E-A-C-E.com. Uh, and everything is there. Um, I have a very uniquely spelled first name, so it was possible to find the website for it. Um, and uh, my book is there. There are lots of uh, blog posts. There's a huge amount of information there that people can browse through. Um, they can. There's a way to contact me through there. That's the easiest way, A-N-E-A-C-E.com. Okay, so we have the link for the book and we have your uh, your website. I have to mention in the type of books that the type of book that you have written, it is quite powerful in the right in the right moment. I still remember that, of course, the the the, the monk that sold his Ferrari, which yeah. also uses like an analogy of a personal journey in order. Uh, in order to help people uh, go into that transition. I got it just in the moment. I read it just in the moment where I was breaking up from my corporate uh, corporate life. And the meaning that it had at that moment, it was quite, quite relevant because you said it, that when you tell the story like a how-to, especially if you are a senior leader, you will not... Why should I trust Anis? Why is he better than, than me? But if it is a story that happened to someone who and that you feel relatable as in a third person, that makes it so powerful, Anis. I, I, I really love the way you have written your oh, book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It was lovely to spend time with you. It was lovely to speak French just before the recording. Yes, that was wonderful. <laughs> thank wonderful you, meeting you, Ivan. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. We talk very soon. Thank you. Yeah, take care.